It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to Quantum, the podcast that looks at news and culture and views from a largely Christian perspective, providing information for both Christians and non-Christians. We are going to look especially at the Supreme Court and the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But before we do that, here's some sad news from Australia. It wasn't a sight rescue teams wanted to wake up to on day three. 200 more whales, all dead, discovered on a reconnaissance flight, a whale stranding record. This is definitely the biggest in Tasmania, and we believe it's the biggest recorded in terms of numbers in Australia. Staff from local fish farms have been pitching in, saving mothers and calves from the sandbar. It's pretty grim scene, like, um, pretty overwhelming seeing so many, and they were a bit more lively yesterday, so there was a lot of flapping um, and a lot of noise, but we just did what we could. Strawn locals are familiar with whale strandings, but not of this size. Look, it's just horrible and sad and chaotic and, you know, there's, there's nothing good comes of it. Rescue teams will keep working as long as... At the time of recording this, it's reckoned that around 400 of these pilot whales have died. Um, about 50 plus have been saved. But it's really uh, a sad thing, just an, uh, a strange thing to observe that and to see that. Well, let's stick in this side of the world, if you like, and let's see if you recognize this. So, Japan has a new Prime Minister, Yoshidi Suga, and Plans are being made for Scott Morrison, the Australian Premier, to go and visit him. Again, it's very interesting what's going on because India and the US and Japan and Australia are largely forming this alliance to try and contain the power of China. Now, Japan is an absolutely key part of that and we should keep an eye on what's going on um, in Japan it looks as though there's going to be a much stronger alliance between Australia and Japan. Now, in terms of uh, Japan as well, let's just say something about COVID there. There have only been about 1,500 deaths in Japan out of a nation of 126 million. And there are varying reasons for that, although some people reckon it's because everyone wears a mask. Now, I read this fascinating article by Gary Dexter in which he explained why people wore masks, and it's nothing to do with COVID. Um, it stems from the Spanish flu in 1918, and there were various other reasons as well. It was just really interesting. I, I don't know if this is true, but he seems to be pretty well read in this. He said pollen allergy is a big problem in Japan's urban centres, that about a third of people severely suffer from it, and so masks help them. Also that it's considered extremely bad manners to have a cold or a cough and not to cover your mouth. And again, masks help with that. And then, fascinatingly, there are aesthetic reasons. 
So there's a cultural thing that Japanese women are not to show the inside of their mouths. And some people argue that this is because of the dreadful state of Japanese teeth. But also in Japanese culture, a slim, small jaw is appreciated. And if you don't have that and you cover it up with a mask. In the article, he also talks about how uh, wearing a mask helps when, uh, particularly again, women are socially shy. I, I, I don't know if these things are true, but I just find human culture utterly fascinating. And I, do, I did notice that when I went to South Korea, I, would, I wore a mask because culturally, again, it was something that was very strong. Now, speaking of culture, here is uh, a song by Van the Man, who uh, is both my wife's and my one of my favourite singers. And this is a song, actually, that I think he wrote for my wife. Yeah, the caravan has all my friends. Yeah, they'll stay with me until the end. Gypsy Robin, sweet Albert Road. Tell me everything I need to know. La, 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 Now, why are we playing Van Morrison? Because he's in a bit of trouble. <laughs> this, I, I, okay, I, I'm trying not to laugh. Um, he's got a song coming out called No More Lockdown. It says things like... <laughs> Sorry, um, Imperial College scientists making up crooked facts. No more lockdown, no more government overreach, no more fascist bullies disturbing our peace, pretending it's for our safety when it's really to enslave. It's not quite no guru, no method, no teacher, but yep, uh, good for you, Van. I mean, it, and yet, you know, this new, I was going to say Puritan, but I love the Puritans, so I hate using that. But you know what I mean when I say it. This kind of new, humorless, political Puritanism that's dominating our culture. Ugh. It's just, you know, look, rock stars can say stupid things. You think it's stupid? That's fine. You know, just say that it's stupid. But don't do what the Northern Ireland health minister said this. He denounces Van Morrison's uh, lyrics as dangerous. These are dangerous. I don't know where he gets his facts. I know where the emotions are on this, but I'll say that sort of messing is dangerous. Our message is about saving lives. If Van wanted to sing a song about saving lives, then that would be more in keeping with where we are at the minute. Then there was, uh, who else? Councillor Emmett McDonoghue Brown, who's called for Belfast City Council to strip Van Morrison of his freedom of the city on the grounds that, quote, his most recent lyrics undermine the guidance in place to protect lives. There's some kind of new so there you go rock stars you got to sing government approved lyrics now oh dear me seriously this is the world in which we live and these are our politicians 
Yeah, but that's not the daftest thing this week. That is my favourite piece of Beethoven music, Beethoven's Sixth Symphony, which to me still remains one of the most relaxing and wonderful pieces of music you will ever, ever hear. The thought of cancelling Beethoven. So why would we cancel Beethoven? Honestly, I think American progressives are nuts. And I think, uh, you know, America's dominance of the world, the sooner it's over, the better, because the kind of stuff that's coming out of the States just now, it's not just the wacky right-wing conspiracy QAnon theorist people. It's the left-wingers who are just mad. And they're the ones who are in charge of the corporations and often the media. So, uh, there is a musicologist called Nate Sloan and a songwriter called Charlie Harding, who are stars of the Switched On Pop podcast, produced in association with the New York Philharmonica. But apparently, Beethoven is out. It's time to cancel Ludwig, because they say that his music is responsible for a stuffy elitist classical culture that bolsters the rule of white males and suppresses the voices of women blacks in the LGBT community. Oh, Beethoven as the soundtrack for white privilege and oppression. They are not going to leave one single part of Western culture standing. They're going to burn the lot in the name of their fantasy nonsense. I'm sorry, cancelling Van the Man and Beethoven is a step way, way too far. It's time for the revolution. Now, before we come on to the Supreme Court, let's just also think about this in terms of, of COVID and elsewhere. I heard this fascinating interview with Lord Sumption talking about fear. Listen to this. Well, the use of fear has of course been noticed by many people. And some members of SAGE have made public statements since then, saying that this was perhaps overdone, but it was a matter of deliberate policy, as it quite clearly was. What you have to remember is that when societies lose their liberty, it is because liberty has been crushed under the boot of some tyrant. It's usually because they've been frightened into giving it up voluntarily. And that is what has happened in this case. Fear is the number one instrument of every despot. I dare say that the intentions of this government are benign, but their methods have not been. Now, I, I think he has a really important point, that using fear to control people is ultimately counterproductive. I think it does lead to authoritarianism, but I think also that once you instill people fear in people, it's hard to get it out of them. I am not sure that using fear in in the political or the religious sphere in that sense is is a wise move. But speaking of fear, let's move on to the Supreme Court and let's hear of the fears of some people in the United States. There's not too much to be confident about. Um, everything is kind of up in the air. 
I'm just afraid that a lot of the steps that we've taken forward will go backwards. I'm scared that our government won't take us seriously. What truly scares me is not having another woman replace her on the court, um, especially a woman that has such forward thinking. I am scared. I'm a teacher in Chicago. I teach at a charter school and my students are predominantly Hispanic and black and so I'm just scared of my future as a, a Jewish woman and the future of my students. Trump has the opportunity to appoint a third of the Supreme Court and that's a legacy that is going to continue long after he's voted out of office or long after he leaves the White House. So this is an incredibly important fight that we're going to be up against. There we are. I'm, I'm afraid, says this woman. We need a woman. We need a forward-thinking woman. What are they talking about? Now, for some of us outside of the United States, we don't realize just how important this is. But this was headline news all over the world. And the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a Supreme Court justice, ha is important because it has the potential to change the U.S. election, but also it is the reason some people think that Trump was elected in the first place, because the Supreme Court has an inordinate power in the United States, and there are some very disturbing things about it in terms of a democracy. Now, let's just look at this bit by bit. Uh, there are nine Supreme Court justices. If Donald Trump was to appoint another one, and that would be the third, then it would be 6-3, as they say, in favor of more conservative. Although uh, what that means and whether how true that is, I'm not entirely convinced. He's already said that he's going to nominate by the end of this week a woman. Um, kind of tough if you're a qualified man, but never mind, it's going to be a woman. Almost certainly it'll be Barbara Lagoa, who's a Latino, or Amy Coney Barrett, who is a youngish uh, Catholic woman. Um, she And that is significant uh, for various reasons. We'll come on to her in a moment as well. But the Democrats, of course, are furious about this because they say that at the last election in 2016, the Senate Republicans blocked Democrat President Barack Obama's choice for the U.S. top court. Uh, Mitch McConnell this time ha has said he's not going to block it. And Mitt Romney, who was one of the Republicans, the, the Democrats need four Republican senators to switch. Two have said that they, will, they, will, they would. Mitt Romney was meant to be the third, but he has now come out and said that he won't do so. And so it looks likely that unless something dramatic happens, uh, Trump will be able to elect a third U.S. Supreme Court justice. I mean, there'll be fury and everything else, but constitutionally, they can't stop him doing it. And morally, I think that McConnell was saying when you have a House, a Senate rather, that are opposite to the president, you can't do it. But when they're the same, you can do it. And that was exactly uh, Romney's point as well. Now, what's Trump saying? He's saying we were put in this position of power and importance to make decisions for the people who so proudly elected us, the most important of which has long been considered to be the selection of United States Supreme Court justices. We have this obligation without delay. 
it looks as though this is going to go ahead. Now, here's a report of Amy Coney Barrett. Amy Coney Barrett joined the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit in October 2017. Barrett is 46 years old, conservative, and a practicing Catholic. She lives in Indiana and has seven children. What we want in a justice, someone who applies the law, who follows the law where it goes, and doesn't decide simply on the basis of partisan preference. While Barrett appeals strongly to Trump's base, opponents on the other side of the aisle argue her religion could interfere with her legal decision-making. Her religion was a talking point during Barrett's 2017 confirmation hearing. The conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. And that's of concern. Feinstein's comment prompted outcry from critics, who accused the senator and others of presenting a religious test, which the Constitution specifically prohibits. Abortion is a human right! Democrats have also raised concerns about Barrett's stance on Roe v. Wade, one of the most divisive issues in deciding the future of the court. Roe has been affirmed many times and survived many challenges in the court, and it's more than 40 years old, and it's clearly binding um, on all courts of appeals. In 2013, Barrett said she believed Roe v. Wade would not be overturned, and the question instead would be whether abortions will be publicly or privately funded. Her suggestion that it is settled law will be central to any future debate on abortion rights and how the court views precedent. Now, what astounded me about that report was the remark of Diane Fenstein, from uh, a Democrat from California. Because what she's effectively saying, she's in putting forward what we call the Test Act. Now, the Test Act was an act in the United Kingdom that prevented non-Anglicans and Catholics especially from being sworn into office. And in the United States, of all countries, to have a politician saying that someone's religion prevents them from taking a position of public office is utterly astounding. It's also completely hypocritical because Diane Fenstein has a dogma. She has her fundamental beliefs. Now, what should matter is whether Amy Coney Barrett is a good judge. But that's not quite where everything goes with this. Um, it's so politicized. In fact, it is thought that this, the death of Ginsburg is going to significantly change the US election, and most people think it will change it in favor of Donald Trump. It's interesting, by the way, that Donald Trump had already put a list of his nominees a couple of weeks ago, and Joe Biden has refused to do so. Even now, he's refused to do so. Now, why has he refused to do so? Because he knows that if he puts a list, the kind of extreme left of his party who are dominant won't like it. And if he gives them what they want, then that will just enter. I think the rest of the country could end up voting against it. For someone out with the United States, to me, this is a bizarre system. Now, this is why I think it's bizarre. There's someone called Norman Swan interviewing here Mary Ziegler, who's a law professor of Florida State University and the author of Abortion and the Law in America, Roe versus Wade to the Present. Just listen to this small clip of what she says. Brett Kavanaugh, for example, who, of course, made headlines due to his 
pretty scandalous confirmation hearing seems to have an instinct similar to Roberts to care about and be aware of popular opinion. Um, that's less true of some of the court's other members, Clarence Thomas, um, who has had his own confirmation scandal um, involving sexual harassment, has been very clear that he wants to overturn Roe and is kind of throwing down the gauntlet. But that said, even if you add one more conservative to the court, that still might make someone like Kavanaugh the new deciding vote. And Kavanaugh is someone who does seem to be at least somewhat aware of popular opinion and the potential for a backlash. Now, why is that disturbing? She's talking about a judge who's meant to judge according to the law, but she's talking about judges who should judge according to popular opinion. In other words, give the mob what they want. Now, I don't care if it's an opinion I agree with or disagree with. That's an appalling basis for law. What has happened to the United States where the most powerful people in the land are really not the politicians, but are justices who are elected for their political views or who are appointed for their political views rather than their judicial ability. Now, I think actually that's an exaggeration because I think they are appointed for their judicial ability. But in, in terms of who is appointed now, it's the politics that has more sway. By the way, there's one thing about this that's just uh, different. It was just strange to me. I'm, I've been a big critic of Donald Trump, but listen to this, to his reaction on hearing of the death of Ginsburg. She led an amazing life. What else can you say? She was an amazing woman. Whether you agreed or not, she was an amazing woman who led an amazing life. I'm actually sad to hear that. I am sad to hear that. Thank you very much. That was... Remarkably, um, how will I put it, compassionate and wise for him to say. He was sounding almost presidential. Uh, it's In fact, so much so that, of course, in this poisonous atmosphere that predominates in the US at the moment, there were commentators immediately saying, no, no, he couldn't have just heard. This was all set up. He had been told to do this. No, I think that it was a compassionate and a good reaction. And well done to President Trump for for actually responding in that way, given the number of times we've criticised him for his crass and crude comments. That was dignified and stately and compassionate. Welcome to the coming apocalypse. Okay, if Trump is not elected and Biden is elected and was able to appoint more Supreme Court judges, there are people in the US who would say it's the end of the world and there are people in the US who think that because... Trump is going to appoint a new justice. That's the end of the world. Well, let's just reflect on that. Now, here's your host, Pastor Paul Begley. Welcome. This is the coming apocalypse. I'm Pastor Paul Begley. And wow, are you in for a great broadcast today? We're going to be talking about what's called the Hosea prophecy. And might as well grab a Bible because we're going to be in Hosea chapter 4. We've got three verses to read. Pastor Paul Begley of West Lafayette in Indiana, he says the end of the world is coming. Now, this is so typical, this kind of apocalyptic nonsense that keeps being repeated. Um, What amused me about that, by the way, was he's been teaching this for decades. You know, the end of the world is coming. Uh, He says that, you know, the Bible says there'll be a series of apocalyptic events and we've had war and plagues and political unrest and natural catastrophes. And uh, he 
he warns people about a deceptive spirit saying this isn't happening and so on. And I'm tired of these people, to be honest. The, the reason I heard of him, by the way, is he appeared in the week um, as some kind of eccentric. The, the world looks and laughs at us, not because the world is evil in that sense, but because sometimes in the Christian church we're just being really, really daft. Apocalyptic nonsense has been around since Christ's time. Yes, we don't know when the end of the world will be, and you cannot interpret or rather take today's event and fit them into some bizarre interpretation of Daniel or Revelation. And I'm sorry if you're a Christian that offends you, but it really is crazy. All right, look, this is where we need to come in in all of this. Supreme Court justice, COVID, cancel culture, all these different things. Where do we take our hope? We don't take our hope in that we're, it, it is the end of the world or we're going to stop the end of the world or we're going to heal all of this kind of stuff. No, no. We take our hope from looking at Christ. And I, I'm going to leave you with this amazing song. This is the Mississippi Mass Choir with an amazing woman called Mosi, I think it is, Mosi Burks, who um, I think she's dead now, but I think when this was recorded, she was in her 70s. And you really need to see the video. She's just incredible. I love the joy in this. I, I love where it's coming from. And, and she's a woman who was brought up poor. I think her parents were sharecroppers or whatever and in the Delta. And it was through gospel music and through her faith, and she went on to become a very, very well-known singer. I just love this whole thing and that is it. We look and we say, this is where we're at. This is what we're looking for. We're looking for the return of Christ. We are looking to, while we wait to follow and to serve him, but we have no doubt. The Lord is in control. If you don't know who Christ is, then I'm just simply saying to you, find out, find out, find out. And if you are a Christian, don't be distracted from your hope in Christ and don't be driven to despair. There is no need to despair. Jesus is coming back. Jesus knows what he's doing. God bless you, and we shall see you next week. Feel free to support uh, Quantum on the Podbean fundraiser, and if you've got any ideas, then for future episodes, please let me know. See you next week.